Hello, everyone. This is Matt, and I wanted to do something a little different with this podcast. I wanted to teach on Psalm 1. If you wanted to go a little bit deeper from the sermon, this is a good way to meditate on Psalm 1. And you can think of this as a little bit more didactic or lecture. Um, and I, want, I basically wanted to describe how Psalm 1 is a vista or gateway through which you can see the whole Psalter. The word Psalter is just a summary for all the book, all the book of Psalms. And you can see the entirety of scripture through Psalm 1, specifically a couple of images that it gives us, one of a tree and one that's not as obvious, but um, of kingship. And so I want to talk about those two things. And if you want to grab your Bible or device, it would be very, very helpful to kind of turn to these passages and see uh, just what it says and see if you um, can meditate with me on this particular uh, chapter. It's short. It's only six verses, but it's one of the most profound poems uh, in all of the book of the Bible and will help you understand not just the totality of Scripture, but I think it'll help you understand God and, and yourself in relation to what we're supposed to be doing here in this world and who we are supposed to be. And so this is somewhat, I'm going to start by just reading the first six verses. Uh, there, there are only six verses, and so it says this, blessed, and that word for blessed, many um, think that that means happy or fortunate. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Um it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So one of the things that is so very, very fascinating about um, the whole book of Psalms is this idea of God knowing human beings. You know, there's this section in Galatians 4 verse 9 where it says, um, Part of the point of life is to be known, to be known by God. And so in verse 6 of Psalm 1, it says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It doesn't say that about the way of the wicked. My professor in seminary, he said, probably what is in mind here is the idea of what's called a suzerain treaty. So back in the day, when a stronger king would defeat a weaker king, they would write up contracts called suzerain treaties. And this is uh, how covenant, you know, covenants in the Bible were pulling from that culture of these suzerain treaties. And in, in the New Testament, to, to know, um, the Hebrew word for know is yada, but to know in the New Testament is closely tied with loving or being chosen by God. 
And my professor says this, and I thought this was so fascinating when I learned it, that which is aligned with the Lord's nature, Yahweh's nature, will live with the life of Yahweh forever. So there's this idea of eternality. But the way of the wicked, which is alien to his nature, will be like things that did not have life at one time, but have dried up like chaff in the wind that that goes away, that perishes. Now, think about Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, you know, the whole world was created. And in the very midst of the Garden of Eden, there was there were two trees. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then there was the tree of life. And here in our text, it says, again, that when you delight yourself in the law, you meditate on it, um, you're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Now, Tied to the idea of what scholars called the history of redemption in Israel was um, the promise of a king, a human king, a human representative that would reflect what God does in heaven on earth so that heaven and earth were synonymous in some ways. So the the king, the true king of the cosmos, had a suzerain treaty or contract or um, law that says, this is how I want to relate to you, little vassal kings. This is how I want to know you. This is how I want to love you. I want you to reflect what I'm like on earth. And I want you to make earth a replica of heaven so that the two don't ever have to separate. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they broke that reflection of who they were supposed to be, like a, a mirror gets smashed and breaks into thousands of different pieces. And so the reflection isn't as clear. And so the way that God is sharing the gospel throughout history is that he's saying there's going to be a king one day, a messiah, who will perfectly reflect me. But this king is not going to be like the other kings of the earth. He's going to be very, very, very different. In fact, um, he's not supposed to accrue a large army, and you can find this in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 through 20. He's not to accrue a large army with horses and chariots, nor is he to have many wives which is how nations got uh, allied by marrying other kings' daughters. But this is, what, <laughs> this is what the king, the true king, is supposed to be about. He's supposed to write the Torah all the time, and he's supposed to fear God. That was the idea of wisdom. So you have this idea of the true human representative. And Adam and Eve were supposed to be little kings and queens of the earth, but the true human representative of God on earth is supposed to have Torah in one hand and wisdom in the other. Okay? This is very, very, very much at play when it comes to the book of Psalms. 
So the salt, the Psalter, that's uh, the whole book of Psalms. The Psalter is broken up into five books, and you can see this. Almost every Bible has this sectioned off, but book one is from Psalm one to Psalm forty. Book two is from Psalm forty-two to Psalm seventy-two. Book three is from Psalm seventy-three to Psalm eighty-nine. Book four is from Psalm ninety to Psalm 106, and book 5 is 107 through the end of the Psalter, through 150. Now, here's, here's what's so fascinating about that breakdown. At each transition of every book, you have what's called a wisdom psalm and a kingship psalm. Anytime you see the word blessed or uh, care for the poor or uh, language like folly, that's wisdom language that's often picked up in the book of Proverbs. And the connotation is the true human being, the true king would fear the Lord. And then you have a kingship psalm. So for instance, Psalm 1 would be the wisdom psalm. Psalm 2 would be the kingship psalm. And you can read those two and you can see that really clearly. In book 2, Psalm 41 would be the wisdom psalm. Psalms 44 and 45 would be the kingship. In book three, Psalm 73 would be the wisdom psalm. Psalm 72 would be the kingship psalm. So it's not like, you know, the first one is definitely wisdom and the second one is kingship, but around the time of the transition. And so a Jewish person, so let me just go through the rest of them. Psalm 90, which is attributed to Moses, talks about the fear of the Lord that that it's wise to know that your life is, is, short, is short to number your days so that you can have a heart of wisdom. And then uh, all the Psalm 90s, pretty much 93 through 99 are all kingship Psalms. And then in book five, Psalm 112, or 112 and 108 are wisdom Psalms. And Psalm 110 is probably the most, at least according to how much um, it's quoted in the New Testament, Psalm 110 is probably the most important psalm in all the Psalter. And it's it's a bit strange to our ears, but it's about Mel, Melchizedek, and it's it's quoted more than any other psalm in the New Testament, even Jesus himself, when he's talking to the scribes, <laughs> you know, he's kind of he's kind of poking at him and he's like, Hey, David said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, who's he talking to? You know, and and Jesus, and we'll get back to this here in a second, but Jesus was basically saying, It's talking about me, but y'all don't believe me. And so um But each, so back to the Psalter, each book has this idea in mind that the true human king as representative and a reflection of God in the world uh, would love Torah and would be wise. Now, if that's our calling as human beings, if if that's what we're supposed to be and do, um, Psalm 1 is giving us a picture <clears throat> of, of basically uh, the, the truly blessed life and the truly cursed life. And Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, talks about, and I'm going to actually read this, because when our approach to the law is to try really, really hard to be good enough. And we are going to talk about effort. We oftentimes in our tradition um, can get down on effort. But 
the approach to God when it's not coupled with the gospel of Jesus Christ is um, not just unbearable, but it's an anti-gospel. It's an anti-good news approach to God. So for instance, this is the whole point of Galatians. In Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Now, this is the point. And this is where trees come back into play in the true king. Okay, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might be might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You know what that's saying? If you go back to Psalm 1 and you see that what happens to the wicked, what happens to the cursed ones is that they are cut off like chaff in the wind, that this is what's happening to Jesus Christ on the cross. That is, I know this is vulgar, Colossians 2 picks this up, but he is a, a circumcision of sorts. He's the deadness that's cut off from life itself for the purpose of saving his people, for the purpose of engrafting the nations, for the purpose of bringing healing and restoration to all people, all nations, through the Spirit, through faith. You don't have to just be a Jew anymore. That's the point. And so what's so fascinating is after you get to the end of Scripture, in Revelation 22, this is why Psalm 1 so, so great at summarizing everything. This is what Revelation 22, 1 through 4 says. Then the angel, remember the angels are what guarded the tree of life way back in Genesis. This is what's going to happen in the future. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. You know what that just said? That just said that the river of living water is flowing from the Lamb, the sacrifice. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations or the Gentiles, or the Goyim, as the Jews would say in the Old Testament. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. And this is the, the really interesting part. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. I think way back to the original purpose for human beings, it was to reflect God on earth. When Jesus's name is on the forehead, he is the true human representative. He came down and did, God had to do it himself to reflect what he's like on earth. 
And when we are engrafted into him, we actually participate in our eternal reality. We become like the tree that's planted by streams of water when we are rooted and grounded in him, which is centered on belief that he was cursed for us. And therefore, we can actually practice the life of the Spirit through him. We can actually begin through the gospel to delight in the things of God so that it says in Galatians, again, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, it says, there is no law. (laughs) So the point and fulfillment and direction of the law is Jesus Christ. And that when we come back to what God has said through Christ, it has a different connotation to our hearts. It's not, we're not averse to it. Now that all that is pretty, that's pretty heady. And what I want to do is just bring it back down to a more practical level so that we can think about creatively think about ways in which we can get this uh, lived in our life. And so you, you may be like, I, you know, I don't really, I'm not the type of person that's going to like sit down and memorize large portions of scripture. You know, the word, the word meditate. And I, like for those of you who just aren't like that, I want to put your mind at ease and know that like God made you in the way that he made you and that that's okay. Like you don't have to be like super egghead, uh, you know, Bible nerd, but just think about what you're good at. Think about what you enjoy doing and meditate. Meditating means to take a portion of the truth of scripture or take some aspect of the goodness of God or any sort of truth about God that you already know. Take it and direct your attention on it. And then as you live your life, what would it, what would it be like if this was actually true to your daily reality? That's what it means to meditate. Now for, for some that could mean, I remember this guy, singer songwriter in a state that I used to live in, he would sing <laughs> he would sing uh, these psalms to his kids at night like from the Psalter and he made he made a whole album out of these psalms that he would sing to his kids as they fell asleep as a way to like he didn't use this language but what he was doing is that he was getting it into the rhythms and practices of what he liked to do there's another artist named uh, Mako Fujimura and he's in the process, he may have already completed it, of painting um, a canvas that's representative of all 150 psalms. Like that's, that's a way of taking scripture and what you're naturally good at and digesting it into your normal rhythms and practices, getting it lived, as Eugene Peterson would say. Eugene Peterson said in his book, Eat This Book, that 
when his dog would find a bone out in the wild in Montana, there was a a showing off period of when he found, you know, the animal bone. And then the real pleasure that the dog would get was when he would take the bone away and for two hours just chew on it. Um, that's the idea of, of meditation on scripture. And so I, like, I want to tell you one of my life goals, not as a way for you to, to do this at all, but this is um, something I want to share with you so that you can take your own rhythms and practices in your own vocation or your own uh, parenthood or your own uh, single life, wherever you find yourself and be creative in your own patterns to get the word inside your heart. So one of my life goals is just to know some portion of every psalm. There's 150 of them. And the psalms are um, equipped to help you face any situation and circumstance in this life and how to process that circumstance emotionally. And so one of my goals is that I I just want to know like a little portion of what every psalm talks about so that I can handle any situation that I may come across personally or any situation that I may come across pastorally. Now, part of the on the ground practice of that is that I I read through the the Psalms every single month. So I read five Psalms a day. Um, And, you know, if I miss a day, I try to catch up. Um, But and I don't I don't beat myself up if I if I do that, you know, if I if I miss uh, a particular day. But I just I try to keep going. But that's that's something that that I want to do, and I think is going to take my whole life. You know, I've I've tried to sit down just from memory, figure out what's in each psalm, and I, I think I know about forty of them so far. You know, um, but I want to know all fifty, and I want to know a portion of what's in each psalm for the sake of practicing my eternal reality, <laughs> for the sake of the benefit of the church, and also just because life is more happy. Um, when I'm soaking in scripture. So for instance, let's say you struggle, you struggle with like having a melancholic spirit, you know, you tend towards depression, we'll say, okay? Psalm 42 says this. This is a great way to get the gospel and the Torah lived in your life. It says this, Psalm 42, verse five, just take this one verse. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so very practically, what would this look like if you meditated on that? Well, the next time you get depressed, you think about that verse. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And you rehearse that to yourself, not as a way to brainwash yourself, but as a way to fix your attention on the fact that like, if there is a God and if that God wants to know you and deep down in your soul, you desire to know him, then begin the practice of like, if that's true, what will, what will that change about the way that I act and the way that I feel? 
there's a lot of talk today about like not just doing your feelings, but responding appropriately to the situation that you're in. And what the Psalms allow you to do is you feel something, you rehearse and meditate on a particular truth of scripture. It allows you to step back and say, okay, how do I, how do I want to respond to this situation? As opposed to just reacting to everything. Another example, let's say you struggle with feeling overburdened by so, so many things. Here's one tiny little scripture that you can just focus on. Psalm 55 verse 2 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. When you feel overburdened, you can notice rhythms in your day when you're particularly susceptible (laughs) to uh, feeling overburdened. The old timers, the desert fathers used to call this the noonday devil. Um, Well, during that time, if you know you're going to be tempted to kind of feel so, so weighed down, rehearse this to yourself, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. If that were true, how would that change the way that you're operating in the present moment? That's part of what it means to meditate, to chew on, to soak in, to absorb the truth of Scripture into your rhythms, into your daily life. Um, And what that leads you to is being able to, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season, it allows you to handle every sort of situation in life that you're sustained through the gospel to handle whatever comes to you, the hard stuff. That's why Jesus can say there is a type of blessing. There's a type of blessedness that you have even when you cry. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor. Um, Blessed are you when people revile you, when people speak terrible things about you. There's a type of happiness. There's a type of blessing that you can have in the midst of the worst things you can experience in life because you are sustained by a supernatural source, this stream of living water that's embodied in the Lamb of God, the true King of the world, who hangs on a tree for you. Um, I hope this was was helpful. Uh, always, if you would like to talk more about Scripture or anything that's that's taught, or if you need a little bit of guidance on kind of how to meditate um, on a particular portion of scripture, please, please email me. Uh, My email is matt at welcome to redeemer.com. It's the longest email in the world, Um, but would, would love to dialogue with you about that. Hope this is helpful. And this is meant to be supplemental to the sermon um, on Sunday, June 12th from Psalm 1.